الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين. All praise is due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on the last Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day. This is the uh, fifth session on the series which I called the soul of Hajj. And in this series we began with the concept of Hajj, then we looked at the elements of Hajj, as each element became uh, necessary to be understood in order for the sequence of Hajj to complete itself. We're not doing it uh, step by step for a person making Hajj, we said, that there are many books available which deal with the step-by-step uh, rites of Hajj. Among the best ones, you know, is the one um, by uh, Davies from South Africa. Uh, I think it's called um, the Getting the Best Out of Hajj or something like this. But it is, it's quite excellent, and there are many, many books available, that the focus of this series was more to understanding the concepts behind the rites themselves, you know, which is a general principle we said is necessary for understanding Islam itself. Because Muslims today tend to be caught up in the rituals and the rites of the various acts of worship that have been prescribed for us by God, by Allah. But the spirit behind them and the goals for which they were prescribed are non-attainable or non-understandable, they're not understandable. People don't really understand what they are. So they're just doing the rites and the rituals, believing that somehow these rites and rituals, even though not understood, would earn them reward. So the essence really of the Hajj like the essence of Salah and other rites that have been prescribed for us, is missing. And because of that, those acts are in fact not rewardable. We don't get reward for them. They're missing. That's why some people, as the Prophet ﷺ said, would make Salah, and nothing of it would be recorded for them. They would go through the acts of salah. They would have made wudu, they stood up, said fatiha, and everything else, but nothing is recorded for them. Some people 50%, some people 20%, 
Some people, zero. So similarly, hajj. There are people who go to make hajj and they come back with minus. They not only fail to gain the blessings and the rewards that hajj have, in fact, they come back with sins on their shoulders. So, we were looking at the ihram, which is among the first things that we are obliged to begin with. When we reach the boundaries, we call the mawaqit, and we talked about the mawaqit. And we talked about going into Mecca and Tawaf and Sa'i and ending the Umrah if we are making a combined Hajj, Hajj and Umrah together, or we're just making Umrah, ending it off with the shaving of the head. Then on the eighth day, that is tomorrow, people are required to go back out to Mina. And in our last session, we discussed about Mina, and we pointed out that in spite of the fact that people treat Mina as just a transit point. It's not looked at really as a rite of Hajj. Reality is that we spend more time in Mina than in any other location during Hajj. So the very fact that Allah has prescribed Mina for such a length of time, so many times we return to Mina, then it must have importance. Because whenever Allah prescribes something, He prescribes it because of its importance. The more time He gives to it, means the more important it is. So, Mina, we said, even though people tend to disregard it, not really consider it as anything, it is among the most important days. First and foremost, as we said, before Arafah, it's preparing for Arafah. And then we talked about what, what, what then would we do in Mina. The three main rites of Mina, we said, were formal prayers, which are shortened, supplications, and words of remembrance. These were the main three things uh, or rites that we would do in Mina. And with regards to the shortened prayers, we said that they were not joined. Normally, when we travel, we shorten and join. Reality is actually the joining is not specific for the traveler. Shortening is specific for the traveler. Only the traveler may shorten his prayers. Even if you feel sick, you can't shorten your prayers. You can join them. If you're feeling sick, difficult for you to get up and pray, you may pray two of your prayers together. Zuhur and Asr, Maghrib and Isha. But you can't shorten them. 
It's not allowed. It's not acceptable. So in Mina, we shorten, but we don't join. The shortening gives us more time to focus on supplication. And Mina, as we said, is a place of supplication. Formal prayer, supplication, and words of remembrance. And we also pointed out that for those formal prayers that we pray in Mina, we should strive to make them as best as we can. Because Mina is a preparation for everything else coming after, for the Hajj, the actual rites of Hajj. So just as wudu is preparation for salah, mina is preparation for arafah and everything coming after, whether it's stoning, it's slaughter, it's um, the tawaf, tawaf al-ifada, all of the other acts coming, they're preceded by mina. So our basic prayers in mina should be done in the best way possible. Because they set the stage for the rest of our Hajj. So if our prayers in Mina are sloppy, haphazard, we're missing some, we're doing some, doing it in a hurry, not really praying as we should pray, then it means that is the picture of our Hajj. Because if we can't take care of basic prayers, and that is the most important thing that we'll be asked about on the Day of Judgment. If we can't take care of prayers in Mina, then be sure we will make a mess of stoning, Rami. We'll make a mess of Arafah. We'll make a mess of Tawaf, Lifada. Everything else will be a mess. So, very important for us to do those prayers in the best way possible. And to do them, of course, it means that we should precede them with wudu. Again, wudu done in a way which is in accordance with what the Prophet ﷺ prescribed. Because he said that wudu purifies. You know, we're seeking our goal from the Hajj is salvation. Everybody knows that the biggest uh, reward is that we come back home from Hajj, pure from sin, like the day we were born. As we talked about in the very beginning. So this is the huge reward that comes. A person who is purified of sin is a person who is ready for paradise. They have been prepared for paradise. So purification from sin is a key thought that we should have throughout the rites of Hajj. Purification from sin. And the Prophet ﷺ said that when we make wudu, our sins drop off from our bodies with the water which falls from our limbs. He said that. It's kind of unimaginable, difficult to, to fathom 
how your sins can drop off from your body with the water drops that fall away. But the Prophet ﷺ informed us that with information he, he got from Allah. So though we may not be able to grasp how that is, we accept it. So when we are washing our hands, he told us the sins of our hands are washed off. So when we're washing our hands, that should be in our mind. That when we're washing our hands, we're not just, okay, we just finished eating, our hands are greasy, whatever, so we're just washing our hands. No, that's part of it, yes, we clean up. But the greater part is washing our hands from the sins of our hands. What we have written, what we have taken, what we have given with our hands. Similarly, when we wash our mouths, Usually we just throw the water and whoop, out and we're gone. Hey, what we should be thinking about is that the washing of our mouths is also washing out our mouths from the sins of our mouths. What we have said. And how else do we commit sins? The greatest sins that we commit are usually from our mouths. What we're saying. And our ears. What we're hearing. So on. So our eyes, what we're seeing. These are our senses through which we either do righteousness and earn reward or we commit sins and destroy our souls. So in making wudu, we should be conscious of it. If we make that kind of wudu, then the chances of making a proper salah will be good. But if we're not making that kind of wudu, we're just splashing water anywhere and everywhere, and running through, no dua in the beginning, bismillah, no dua at the end, our shahada repeated, as the Prophet ﷺ taught us, none of that. We just make wudu physically, quickly, and we run to the prayer. So naturally, when we go into the prayer, we'll be going into the prayer from a spirit, from a physical, purely physical perspective. The spiritual aspects will be missing. Difficult to concentrate. Because our wudu was so quick, we really weren't thinking about Preparing ourselves to communicate with Allah, to worship Him. So, naturally the prayer that comes after that is going to be likewise deficient. And the Prophet ﷺ, he had said, you know, according to the prayers, you know, that if there was a river at someone's door and he took a bath in it five times a day, would you notice any dirt on him? He asked the companions. And they said, not a trace of dirt would be left. Prophet ﷺ said, Allah removes the sins with the five daily prayers in a similar way. That the prayers themselves, the wudu removes sins and the prayers remove sins. But if we didn't do a wudu which removes sins, then be sure that the prayer is not going to remove any sin. We're likely adding more sins. 
The Prophet ﷺ also said, the five daily prayers and Friday prayer to Friday prayer, erases the sins between them, as long as one avoids major sins. So the prayers themselves purify us, and we're seeking a hajjud to purify us. So the hajjud purifies us, is the one which is built on prayers which purify us. So can we see that all of this is interlinked? You know, it's not like a separate thing that we do. We have treated it that way. Hajj is like something separate. We talked about that earlier. You know, how people not understanding the real goals of Hajj and how they are achieved, they generally speaking encourage young people not to make Hajj, to delay Hajj. Because if Hajj is supposed to clean us up from sin, then you are still young. If you go and make Hajj now, then you come back, you're still going to make many more sins. So you're just going to ruin all the good that you did from your Hajj. So better you leave the Hajj until the end of your life. You do it at the end. When you've done all the sins you can possibly do. You've run out of steam. No more sins left. Now is the time to make Hajj. But reality is that if you have treated Hajj that way, mentally, you will not be able to make the Hajj which purifies. Your Hajj will be just like the rest of your life. That's the reality. So, we have to keep this concept of purification in mind throughout the Hajj. Everything that we're doing is somehow related to purifying ourselves from sin. Remembering Allah, because it's glorification of Allah, and purification from sin. And we spoke about the Hajjid and Witr that should be done uh, during Mina. And this is a time, normally in our day-to-day -day life, who prays the Hajjid and Witr? Very few people. Very, very, very few people. But in Mina, at least there, we have the chance we should pray our tahajjud. We have no excuse. Back home now, here we are. We're busy, so many other things. We've gone to bed late. We have to get up early for work, whatever. Get up early to get the kids to school, whatever. So we have all these excuses. Not to do tahajjud. But now in Mina, what else do you have to do? You have that time. So Mina shouldn't become just time to kill, as they say. You've just got this excess time. You know, you've got to use it up. So you figure out one way or another, either by chatting with other people, talking about whatever, uh, roaming the grounds of Mina, walking around, you know, whatever, whatever is not going to help you in your Hajj. So, what is good for us is to utilize that time 
consider every moment that we have to spend there as priceless moments which may never come back again. We may never get another chance. And if this is our first Hajj especially, it is critical for us to do it correctly. So we said that the rites of Hajj with regards to Mina continue throughout the rest of the days of Hajj. We do it on the 8th. We spend Arafah on the 9th. This is the only day, we could say the 9th. Although the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ was to go to Arafah at Zuhr time. So really, even the morning of the 9th, it's preferable to spend in Mina. So basically, we're in Mina on the 8th, we're in Mina on the 9th, we go back to Mina on the 10th, we come back again on the 11th, the 12th, the 13th. Virtually every day of Hajj, we spend in Mina. So, we should ensure that the time spent there doesn't become spare time, but becomes valuable time. We did say a certain amount of socializing is allowed in Mina. Getting to know the people who you are making Hajj with, meeting some other people. But your conversations should be limited. Don't spend all the time in that. Instead, if we are meeting and talking, we try to talk something reminding each other about the law. Make that talk valuable and put on our scale of good deeds. Then comes Arafah. We said that Zuhr time is the time to head out for Arafah. And the Prophet ﷺ had said, Al-Hajju Arafah. We said that in the very beginning. Hajj is Arafah. So, Arafah is referred to as the Wukuf Arafah. That we stop there. Or we stand there. You can also sit and lie there. But most of the time spent is time spent in supplication. And we said that in one of the things we should do in Mina in, in order to prepare ourselves for Arafah was that we should prepare a list for prayers. Prepare a list of things that are important to us that we should be praying about. Because Arafah is a challenge, a challenge of praying, supplicating for almost six hours. For almost six hours. This is something we have never done in our lives. 
So it is very important that we prepare ourselves. Otherwise, by the time we get into Arafah, after about half an hour or 15 minutes, we will run out of du'as and we still have in front of us another six hours ahead of us. We've said everything we could think of. If we prepare ourselves, then it's possible that we can make dua spread over that period of time. Instead of, instead of having to, uh, climb Jabal Rahmah, that becomes a substitute right for many people trying to climb Jabal Rahmah. Like people climbing Mount Everest. You know, this becomes a big point for Hajj. But Prophet Muhammad didn't climb Jabal Rahmah. It's not really a rite of Hajj. It's in the plain of Arafah. So you can stand there and make dua, but it has no special significance in that sense. So, we need to utilize that time in supplication. And the Prophet ﷺ had said the best supplication is that done on the day of Arafah. And the best supplication which the prophets before me and I said is لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير No one has the right to be worshipped except Allah alone without any partner. To him belongs all praise and sovereignty and he is able to do all things. This dua We've all said it at some point. It's on the sheet which they put up in the masjids. Sheet of du'as to be said at different times in the morning, the evening. It's there. It's a worthy du'a for us to learn. Whether we're on Arafah or off of Arafah. Because the Prophet said it is the best supplication. And it is the best because it summarizes the essence of Tawheed. It's all about Tawheed. La ilaha illallah. Of course, that's the beginning of our shahada. Wahdahu la sharika la. By himself. He's alone. Without any partner. That nullifies any intermediary. Lahul mulk, everything belongs to him. Walahul hamd, and all gratitude and praise belongs to him. He's the one who should be praised. And he's able to do all things. That whatever he's instructed us to do, we should strive to do. And whatever we are faced with, whatever difficulties, trials we're faced with in life, we should never let these things be excuses for not doing what Allah has commanded us to do. 
Because whatever reason we come up with, why we don't want to do, or why we're not going to do what Allah commanded us to do, whatever reason, it has to do with the dunya, things that we want to get from the dunya. And Allah says, He's able to do all things. So all those things we want to get, He is able to get them for us. That's the bottom line. We should never give precedence to the needs of this world over the commandments of Allah. In terms of the day of Arafah, and that will be Sunday, It was the day in which that verse, اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم Today I have completed for you your religion. That verse was revealed on, on Arafah, the day of Arafah. And that verse is significant in that it rejects all change in religion. In the religion which Allah has prescribed, that verse leaves no room for change. Now the world today is caught up in change. And in the material world, there is good in change. But... In spiritual matters, what God has revealed has no room for change. Because human beings and their spiritual needs have never changed from the time that Adam was put on this earth, nor will it ever change until the last person dies on this earth. The needs are the same. So that's why there's no need for change in the religion because the, the religion deals with human nature, human psychology, human needs, which remain virtually the same through all the various generations of the past and will remain the same for those to come. It's also the day Allah swore about it in Surah Buruj وَشَاهِدٍ وَمَشْهُودٍ Allah swore about that day. The shahid is the witness. Prophet ﷺ explained that that is Friday. And the mashhud or the witness day is the day of Arafah. Fasting on Arafah, as we said earlier, expiates for sins of the past and sins of the future. One year past and one year in the future. This is a special blessing which Allah has given to those who don't make Hajj. Those who are going on Hajj, it's actually not recommended for them to fast. 
it's preferable that they don't fast. So for those of us who don't have the opportunity, this is the option, additional reward that's given to us that those on Hajj don't have access to. And Arafah is also the place where Allah made the covenant with Adam and all of his descendants. Allah describes that in Surah Al-A'raf, verses 72 to 73, where he explained that he took from Adam all of his descendants. That's all of us. All who were before us and all who were to come. We're extracted in the spiritual form from Adam. And we were all made to bear witness. Allah asked us, Alastu bi rabbikum. Am I not your Lord? And we all said, Bala shahidna. Certainly, we bear witness to it. So that is the covenant we made with Allah. Of course, we can't remember it. But it is the basis of faith when we accept the message of the prophets of Allah. It's a reiteration of that covenant. As we said, in order to give more time for supplication, the prayers were shortened in Mina. Here in Arafah, they are shortened and joined. They are shortened and joined. And our main focus, we said, was dua. And when we think of dua, we should think of dua and qadr. In that the Prophet ﷺ had said, the only thing that can change dua, change qadr is dua. That's how powerful dua is. And that's telling us that if we are serious about change, change in qadr, change in what is ahead for us, if we really want it to be good, then the way forward is through dua. Dua can change other. Of course, this is a subject of a lecture in and of itself. As people may want to know, well, how is it that dua can change other? Isn't other what was written in Lawh al-Mahfuz? So if you make dua, can that change what is in Lawh al-Mahfuz? No, it can't. So then how can dua change Qadr? Okay, as I said, that is a whole lecture in and of itself. Enough to say that the change in the Qadr is the change in what would have been had you not made your dua. Yes, it's all written. If you didn't make your dua, what happens was written. If you did make your dua, 
what happened instead of that is written. Leave the house to Allah. The point is that dua changes qadr. The only thing that can change qadr. And dua is the essence of worship. Prophet Muhammad had said, Dua ibadah. Dua is the essence of worship. That's why those people who say, we're not worshipping Saint so-and-so, Saint Abdul Qadir al-Jilani, for example. He's given the title in the subconscious and the subcontinent, Ghawsi Azam. In Arabic, it's Al-Ghawth Al-A'zam. The greatest source of help. So when people find themselves in calamities and trials, who do they call on? Instead of calling on Allah, Oh Allah, help me. They say, Oh Abdul Qadir, help me. You say, brother, this is shirk. I say, no, 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 no. We're not worshipping any others besides Allah. We're not worshipping him. We're just calling on him for his help. Well, the Prophet ﷺ has said, Ad-du'a That du'a that you make to other than Allah is worship. It's the essence of worship. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Hajju Arafah. That the essence of Hajj is Arafah. Because if the essence of Arafah is worship, Right? Essence of Arafah is worship. Supplication. And the essence of worship itself is supplication. Arafah is supplication. See, they've all become one. This is the most important thing. This is the most important element of Arafah. It's not Jabal Rahmah. You have been deluded. If you went and made hajj and your big strive on that day was just to climb to the top of Jabal Rahmah, I ask Allah to forgive those people who told you that and wasted your hajj. So, dua is what we have to focus on that day of Arafah. And crying in dua is something that we should strive for. Now most of us, we cry for everything, but dua. We'll cry when our favorite cricket team loses the match. Tears will come down our eyes. We'll cry when we watch a movie that has some kind of emotional message, theme. Tears will be all down our faces. We'll be sobbing and wiping our eyes. Cry when you lose your job. You know, Men aren't supposed to cry, but that's when they cry. When they lose the job, they got fired. We cry for everything. But crying for Allah, crying 
while worshipping Allah, this one we are hard pressed to do. Meaning our hearts are hardened. Our hearts have become hardened. So this is among the things, if we're going to make Hajj next year, is among the things that from now we have to consider. Because we don't want to be stuck there on Arafah, you know, raising our hands, trying to make dua, and no tears are coming. Nothing is coming. It's just some words we're saying. The Prophet ﷺ had said that among the seven groups of people who would be shaded by the throne of Allah on the day when there will be no shade except for the shade of His throne will be one whose eyes become filled with tears when they remember Allah. This is from the lessons and the preparations of Arafah. So, start preparing for now, for the next Hajj, inshaAllah. And when we are there, some people will spend time reading Quran, reading Islamic books, and reading Islamic books is good. Reading Quran is good, it's excellent. But not in Arafah. You don't need to be reading Quran in Arafah unless you're reading the du'as of the Quran. This is helping you in your du'a. But just reading Quran, because when the people do it, they're just taking it and reading it like you know people typically do after salah. You know, people go and get a Quran and they start reading. But it's just a ritual. They're just reading the text. They don't know what it actually says, what it means. So it really has no impact on their lives. They just feel that's a good thing to do, so they do it. So you don't want to be doing that there on Arafah. Arafah, you want to give it its full right. From Arafah, we leave for Muzdalifah. And everybody is supposed to leave at Maghrib. We don't pray Maghrib in Arafah. But you'll find some people staying back there and praying Maghrib there. But actually this is wrong. It's incorrect. It's violating the Hajj of the Prophet ﷺ. We are supposed to delay Maghrib and pray it along with Isha in Muzdalifa. That's what we're supposed to do. In the past... The crowds sometimes would be so dense that you don't make it to Muzdalifah. The buses. So many that people get stuck on the bus. You end up having to pray there, sitting in the bus, or if the bus is not moving, you get out and you pray in the grounds. Hopefully, you have reached at least some of the uh, area of Muzdalifah. Because Muzdalifah is, is really just a transit point to Mina. It's between Arafah and Mina. The Sunnah was to delay Maghrib and pray 
it along with Isha in Muzdalifa. And in Muzdalifa, there are no tents. There are no tents. People just take mats. It's just a place to rest your head. You lay down when you are there. And remember Allah and sleep. What's required of us there in Muzdalifah is that we try to do it according to the way of Rasulullah Because that's, that's the whole point, that throughout the Hajj, at each point, we have to try to do as the Prophet ﷺ did. He said, خُذُوا عَنِّي manasikakum." Take your rights of Hajj from me. The way I did it, do it. So, what he did was he joined his Maghrib and Isha and he slept there. Some people say, well, you know, we want to stay up and do tahajjud, but we have no record of the Prophet ﷺ doing tahajjud there. He slept. Because Muzdalifa is also preparation now for the heaviest day of Hajj. The tenth day. Eid al-Adha. That's the day we have stoning, slaughter, tawaf al-ifada, you know, so many different elements on that day. The most intense day of the Hajj. So, to be rested is far better than to stay up all night in prayer. And then the morning you're going, you're tired, you're sleepy, you're falling asleep. Now you have to go and stone and what's involved in stoning, we'll talk about that. You're not properly prepared. Stoning becomes a trial for you. And Tawafuli Father becomes an even bigger trial. So we follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, try to sleep as he did, making the du'as before going to sleep. Some people, instead of sleeping, they spend the night finding stones. You'll see them climbing the hillsides there and with objects chipping away at the hillsides trying to find and create stones that they're going to gather up. 49 for the next three days, or 70 for the next four days. Then they'll carry these bags of stones with them. And of course, in the crush and thing of the rites of the next day, you'll find people's bags fall, and the stones are all over the place, and they're scrambling, trying to find the stones, and get it back in. So as I said... Instead of spending the time trying to collect pebbles, the sunnah was to rest. On the way to Mina, the Prophet ﷺ had told 
Abdullah ibn Abbas to collect some pebbles for him. So this was the sunnah. On the way into Mina. And from Mina. Sufficient. Muzdalafa is not a place for collecting stones. But if you did collect your stones from there. The issue of where you actually collected them is not important. Not important in the sense that your hajj will not be violated even if you collected the stones from Arafah. Even if you brought the stones from your country with you. But this is all unnecessary things to do. There are plenty of stones there. Though you'll find people getting stones and washing them and doing all kinds of stuff. So people become obsessed with these stones. But the Prophet ﷺ, his approach was very simple. He asked Abdullah ibn Abbas to collect some. And he looked at them and he conferred the, confirmed the right size because making sure they were not too big, that they would hurt people. So in Muzdalifah we should stay until the morning and pray Fajr there. Although concession was given for women and the old to leave after midnight to avoid the crush of the crowd. So Abdullah ibn Abbas, when he collected the stones on the way into Mina, and he gave them to the Prophet ﷺ, he said, this size is fine. This is about the size of a fingertip. And then he said, beware of extremism in religion. For the people before you were destroyed by going to extremes in religion. And this is important too for people who are going to do Rami. The stoning. Because people for the most part have misunderstood what the stoning is about. So in their mind, especially when it used to be a pillar, in the past it used to be just a pillar, right? and there was a basin around it which the stones would be collected and removed. And you would find people who would actually climb up the pillar while stones were being thrown. There would be people who considered this was like a religious, you know, sacrifice they're making as they're climbing up. People are pelting them with stones left and right. They'll climb to the top of the pillar, they'll have their shoe and they'll be beating the pillar on the top. In their minds, they're thinking, this is Satan. Because it's called the big Satan, the middle Satan, and the little Satan. This is one of the names that the common people gave these pillars, the Jamarat. So in the minds of the ignorant masses, these were actually Satans. So you have to, just throwing a stone is not quite enough. You, need, you know, if you have some serious problem with Satan, then you know, you need to be giving him some serious beatings. Huh? 
So, these are the extremes that people have gone to in ignorance. And of course, as I said, people, well, the Prophet ﷺ made that point. There are people who would want to take a rock because if you're going to throw, and you want to have a little thing the size of your little fingertip here. You know, it's like you can't, what, what are you doing with this really? You throw it, it's just bouncing off. No, you need a rock that you can really hit that thing with. It's going to make a difference. This is, this is what's happening in people's minds. But that's not what it's about. It's not about beating that pillar. Now the pillar has become a wall. Alhamdulillah, some people complained about that. They said, oh, look at these Saudis. Changing the religion. The wall is safer. Especially with the number of people that are going to make Hajj now. In the past when the numbers were smaller, yeah, okay, you can get by with just the pillar and people throwing. Now you've got so many people throwing and so many people missing. So instead of hitting the pillar, they're throwing, it's missing the pillar, going over and hitting people on the other side. So these people on that side are pelting you and you're pelting them. You know? So the, the whole issue of this rite of stoning is lost. We're hurting each other. People come away from there with blood streaming down their faces. And, you know, it's very, very sad. Um, we can laugh about it now, but if you were there, it would be a crying matter. The time is before midday on the 10th. After we have left Muzdalifa, we've gone through Mina. In going through Mina, you can drop off whatever you had taken with you to Arafah. You can drop it off there. You can refresh yourself. You know, even change your ihram, whatever. And head out for the stoning. Right? Because following the stoning, you have slaughtering, shaving, and tawaf. On the way to the Jamarat, we should do so remembering Allah, making dua for spiritual strength. Strength to withstand or to hold Satan or satanic suggestions at bay. Because we are in this process here commemorating what Prophet Abraham did. Prophet Abraham on his way to sacrifice his son, to slaughter his son at the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, was stopped by Satan at three points, three times. He was stopped and Satan tried to dissuade him, discourage him from going to slaughter his child at the command of God. So when we are going to do the stoning, we are repeating what he did in commemoration of his willingness to sacrifice what was most valuable to him. So this is what we should be 
going there having in our mind. And the Prophet ﷺ had said, إِنَّمَا جُعِلَ الْجِمَارِ رَمِيَ الْجِمَارِ لِإِقَامَةِ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ Casting pebbles at the pillar was to establish the remembrance of Allah. So it's about remembering Allah. Remembering Allah in this sense here, remembering that we should be prepared to sacrifice whatever we have for the sake of Allah's command. Because whatever He has commanded us to do is ultimately what is best for us. When we start to stone or to pelt the location called the jimar or jamarat, we should stop making the talbiya that we had been saying during the hajj, labbaik Allahumma labbaik. At this point, we stop. And with each throw, and we only need to take seven with us. With each throw, we say, Allahu Akbar. Allah is greater. Greater than whatever stops us from doing what He has commanded us to do. So this is symbolic of the soul's opposition to and rejection of evil. And it indicates our own personal commitment to obey the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet ﷺ had said, as for stoning the pillars, for every one or every stone you throw, a major sin from among the deadly sins is removed. One major sin with every stone is removed. So again, the issue of purification. It's constant recurring theme throughout the various acts of Hajj. At the end of this first uh, stoning, there is no dua. You will see people standing and making dua. But this is actually done, not on this day, it's done later. At this point, from here we should just proceed to make the slaughter, in the past, that's what we would do. Now, there's no animals to go and choose. When I went to make Hajj for the first time in 1975, 76, you know, we had to go to a place where they had, in Mina, where they had the goats. You choose the goat and you slaughter. They were slaughtering and dropping the bodies there, so you had to be stepping over bodies, you know dead animals to get to the one you wanted was a whole uh, trial. Um, now you just buy a coupon and the slaughter is supposed to take place on that day. Some years back it was possible to make arrangements through certain uh, companies to do the slaughter but now it's just a coupon. And that's made things simpler on one hand because trying to do it on your own at that time is quite a trial. And wastage is reduced. 
Because then the animals are slaughtered, they are packaged, they are sent out, you know, as uh, support aid to various uh, needy countries. They are tinned. But the key to remember, at least we have that intention when we buy the uh, we buy the coupon, it's good to have the intention of the slaughter. And Allah judges your act of buying according to the intention that you have in purchasing that animal for slaughter. So what we should be reflecting on, again, is further commemoration of Allah giving Prophet Abraham an animal in the place of his son. That what may have seemed like an impossible trial to deal with, we went ahead to try to do it as Allah has commanded us, Allah gave another way out. As Allah said, وَمَن يَتَّقِ اللَّهِ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا And whoever fears Allah, trying to do whatever He has commanded him to do, Allah will open a way out for him. That's the case of Prophet Abraham and Prophet Ismail is classical. And of course this is reiterated in the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, you have not truly believed until Allah and His Messenger become more beloved to you than all else. And of course, in the case of the sacrifice, we should also reflect on the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He has given us these animals. Animals which He had made domesticated for us. That we were able to domesticate them and be able to slaughter them. Otherwise, there are many, many other animals out there that we couldn't do that to. Wild animals, which you can't domesticate. So this is also a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we glorify Him and thank Him from that perspective also. And the, of the rites on the 10th is shaving. And that comes after the slaughter and after the stoning. Or it could come after the tawaf. As long as you do two of the basic three acts of that day, you can come out of your ihram. So shaving is normally the symbol for ending your consecrated state of ihram. You're still on hajj, still doing hajj, but the state where you're not supposed to put perfume on and these other things, you know, ends at that point. And the Prophet ﷺ made a special prayer three times for Allah to bless those who shave. And he made one prayer for those who trim. So this is telling us, those of us going to hajj, shaving is better than trimming. And the Prophet ﷺ had also said, as for shaving the head, here comes the big point. There is a reward for every strand of hair you shave. And a sin is erased with it. A reward for every strand of hair you shave. So here again, purification again. As we said, the hajj, this 
thread which connects it all is the issue of purification. We begin on the right side of the head, of course, for as the Prophet ﷺ did, favoring the right in his sunnah. And while we're doing it, we should remember the aqiqah. Because shaving our head is similar to shaving in the aqiqah. Okay, we'll stop here. And um, there's only another five minutes to finish off the material. So we'll come back right after those of you who wish. You can come back right after we'll finish off another five to ten minutes max. And then if you have any questions, we'll take the questions afterwards. Barakallahu feekum.